From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And this week, we're talking about a lot. <laughs> we're mm. talking about Bigfoot, a mm-hmm. nesting doll of a season, Mad mm-hmm. Max meets zombies, a mm-hmm. British horror story, men being dudes, and twin-cest folk horror. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Before we, we do get to that, though, you had mentioned... Uh, that you had quite a day at the coffee so shop. So I'm going to tell my own personal horror story today. And I'm <laughs> telling this because I'm really mad about it and I want to talk about it. And also as a do not talk to women this way in public, please, situation. So I work from home. I work remotely. And I have been trying to get out of my apartment more so I'm mm. not just in my home all the time because it's very easy for me to do that. So on days where I don't have meetings, I try to go to my local coffee shop or one of my local coffee shops to do some work, just change mm-hmm. scenery, whatever. So I'm sitting at my local coffee shop in one of these big – there's um like these two big chairs that have a table in the middle and it was the only place open that had an outlet and there was no one there. Great. Cool. It was like – 
1 p.m. It was like 12 p.m. on thir- uh, today on a Thursday. So I'm also right by a window. So I'm doing my thing and a man walks by the window, whatever, stops, looks at me, walks into the coffee shop and sits at the chair right next to me. The rest of the coffee shop is pretty fucking empty. So like, let's make that clear because I looked. Yeah. So I, this little table is like a little square and I had all my stuff on it because no one was there. And he pushed my stuff so he could put down his apple juice that he had not bought at the coffee shop. And I was like, okay, this is already starting off weird. And the guy clocked him watching me. So I was like, Mm -hmm. great, fucking cool. So, and this guy is dressed in like a nice shirt and like dressed, like he looks like he's a business guy. So like, Mm -hmm. just to kind of set off what the vibe is here, like he looks like a nice person. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so I just don't acknowledge. I just keep on clickety clacking writing about my silly horror movies and then he goes take off your head i'm wearing these like big can headphones and he goes take off your headphones like he does the hand signal like excuse pull them off your ears. me and i was like what <laughs> i was like not <laughs> nice i was like what and he goes are you looking for a job and i was like no he's like are your friends looking for jobs and i was like no and he goes well do you have a job? And I was like, yes, I have a fucking job. And he's like, well, what do you do? And I was like, I, I, who are you? And I was like, I'm a journalist. I write about horror movies. I shouldn't have kept talking, but you know what I mean? Like when you're in a situation and you're like not uh-huh. really sure what to do. And he was like, oh, I've got a question for you. I was like, oh, here it fucking comes. He was like, sorry. <laughs> I have a question for you. I was like, what? He's like, do horror, are horror movies cathartic or do they make you psychotic? Oh, and I Jesus went, Christ. you don't want to have this conversation with me, dude. Like, I'm not the right person to talk to about this. Like, I don't, I don't think you want to open that can of worms with me. And he goes, started chuckling to himself. He's like, you like Stephen King? And I was like, I, I just need to do my job. And he kept like asking me questions. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm just like a square right now, but you should see me like I'm on the weekends with my alter ego. And I was like, okay, that's fucking bizarre. Ew. So he kept talking. He like, and then I just put my headphones back on and kept working. And then he was quiet for a while, but he kept doing that thing. Like when you could feel someone looking up at you and staring at you, even though uh-huh. you're not looking at them, like he was doing that. He kept doing it. Uh-huh. And then he started sneaking his phone up like, like this to take pictures of me and then soon after got a phone call and then left but before he left he said to me can i have your email address and i said no way and he said why not and i said i don't feel comfortable giving you my email address said, oh you're just gonna keep your email address to yourself and i was like yeah. yes i am yes I, he am. Said, well, I, I i'm a politician like people invite me to events and i can invite you to events and i was like i don't need that he's like well uh-huh. what's your political affiliation and i said i don't have one and he goes well if you don't vote you still vote and i was like what are you talking what is even happening? about and i was just like i'm not giving you my email and he was like laughing at me and then left and then i called my fiance and was like can you come pick me up because like i'm not sure if this guy is like waiting for me to leave or not well and steve was like well steve was like hey i'm gonna come like do you want me to come get you like this is weird and i was like yeah like this is probably safe so like i don't know it was awful and it's my favorite place to work so that sucks like i don't i had never seen him before but, like, I also don't... I was just weird. It was so weird. So never talk to a woman Man, like that, everybody. Stop being <laughs> stupid. Don't do that shit. That's and it gross. it also sucks because it's one of the first warm days here. So I wore shorts for the first time 
in a couple months and I had to have a jacket on so you could see my full sleeve. Mm-hmm. And I unfortunately get targeted a lot when people can see all my tattoos because they think I'm just like an exotic animal to stare at. And I had my mask down because I was drinking my coffee so you could see all my, my facial piercings too. So I think he probably just thought I was like a degenerate who didn't have a job or part of it. I don't know. It was weird. It was just like really weird. So just like leave heavily tattooed people alone. Leave women alone. Just like leave people alone. Just leave people alone. You were fucking working. I mean, you know, that that is like this signal. Headphones on writing you know not to like conflate the two but it's like i I feel the same way when i get on like a plane or something and i have my headphones on i have like something up in front of my face and people want to have a conversation i'm like no so don't do that don't do that anytime don't do that just don't i kept i was literally like i was on deadline for something and i kept Mm -hmm. like going back to my computer because i had to get something done and he kept talking i'm like my dude i am actually here working for my job like Oh, that's so gross. I'm so sorry you had to deal with that. But I had to bitch about it because I'm annoyed and I'm mad and I cried about it. (laughs) (laughs) The Scar for Life story. I I fucking (laughs) cried. I got home and cried because I was like, it's like, I just can't go out in the world. Right. Like, just like women can't go out in the world. Just annoying. And like, yeah, there are a lot of things I could have done differently, but I was fucking scared. So like, I don't want to hear it. From anybody, if they're like, you should have said something. Like, I wanted to, but you know what? Sometimes in those scenarios, it's really hard to figure out the right thing to do to keep yourself safe. So, yeah, I don't want to hear it from anybody. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything about what I did wrong. <laughs> no. Anyway. Don't blaming. Jesus. Well, not no. What about Bigfoot? <laughs> <laughs> How do I follow that up? <laughs> Literally, and I was like, there's no way to transition from this. Speaking of mythological creatures. um, (laughs) uh, Okay, so a few weeks ago, we had um, Robbie Banfitch on the show to talk about the Outwaters. And he was talking about how he got interested in filmmaking. And he was talking about Willow Creek, the Bobcat Goldthwait found footage horror film. What an incredible name. Bobcat Goldthwait? Yes. Yes. It's a perfect name. I love it so much. And I had never, I had never seen Willow Creek. And he's like, Terry, you have to see it. You sh- we should stop recording now and go watch it. And so he pinged me again earlier this week. It was er- earlier, yeah, no, earlier last week. It was like, hey, have you watched it yet? And I was like, no, my plan was to watch it this weekend. So I did watch it this last weekend. And for those that don't know, it's basically a man and his 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 girlfriend are filming um, about the legend of. Bigfoot and they want to well he wants to she's less enthused about it but he wants to go do the um the whole trail of those two people that filmed what were their names oh um the um no I'm a Bigfoot scholar I know I was I was throwing this over to you to to knock it out of the park there Mary (laughs) fuck hold on shh don't say anything don't say anything oh it's the gremlin not gremlin no no gimlin Patterson gimlin film Jesus Christ we got there oh man the Patterson gimlin screaming gremlin (laughs) the gremlin film the gremlin film uh yes, yeah, so he wanted to follow the path of those two dudes that filled the, you know, iconic man in a gorilla suit, the loper, aka the man in a gorilla costume, but we we I we won't go down that route. But um yeah, it's so It's real. Sure. <laughs> 
yeah, so uh, the, the okay, I was not as enamored with this film in the first half. It's a lot of like interviews with with people, I believe, real people playing themselves with like Bigfoot enthusiasts, and it, it's played as if like you know he's actually making a documentary. But the moment they get into the woods, things start to like really pick up, and there's an incredible sequence. I know you know what I'm talking about, where they are sitting in a tent and it's the two, it's just the camera on them as the noises start to pick up outside in very haunting and terrifying ways. And that moment was like, oh, I see what people are talking about. And from there on, the movie like had an energy that like really kept me enamored. A very long single take in the in the tent. Yeah. It's just it's literally a- how impressive sound design is. Right. And it, I I love this movie. I love Willow Creek. And I think I really like the first half, but because it's because I have this context of working on that show about Bigfoot mm-hmm. that like those kinds of people are so very real. And these mm. kinds of towns are so invested in the Bigfoot stuff, like for tourism. And like, it's just it feels even more authentic with like how he went about filming this and getting actual Bigfoot people and actually using this town. Cause I feel like it makes the film feel it can Bigfoot movies can be really hokey because like Bigfoot can be a hokey thing if it's not done right. But I think this movie does cryptid right because again, like as a cryptid person, cryptids can get really cheesy and really hokey. Like as a, the amount of cryptid movies I've seen, like they can get fucking dumb. This one does it, I think, really, really well. And the first half might not be great for some people because, like, this is fucking ridiculous, like, whatever. But the wood stuff is... Yeah, you know, and I, I think partly um, what what kind of damaged probably my appreciation of this is that last year, I think it was, Joe and I uh, had covered, Joe Lipset and I had covered um, the Hulu docuseries Sasquatch, which was in digging into the same area and so like okay i think because i I had that frame of mind with this going into this of that it was like i was like i just wanted him to get to the bigfoot action Uh (laughs) if that makes sense so i think maybe if i if i had watched it before that um docuseries or that kind of is like talking to the same kind of people that um the beginning of this did um, I might have a better appreciation for that beginning part, but for me, I was just like, when does the Bigfoot show up? <laughs> Someone hasn't spent hours watching Finding Bigfoot for work and writing live <laughs> tweets for the live bro- new episode broadcasts. That was my, uh, that was part of my job description <laughs> when I worked on the show. I do, I do, what I did like is that you, you kind of talked about this a little bit. The, the, the authenticity here is really great. I, and Bryce Johnson, who plays Jim, the main character, he is an avid Bigfoot believer to the point that he like is on Expedition Bigfoot, which is a series that premiered in 2021. Sure is. And he hosts like, um, a podcast, I believe. I didn't realize he was that big of a fan. Oh, his, his IMDb Believer. bio is um, talking about how he's always looking for his next adventure, whether acting in film, voicing characters, podcasting, or hunting down the elusive creature known as Bigfoot. He's the co-creator of the podcast Bigfoot Collectors Club, a weekly paranormal podcast where they talk about paranormal histories. And oh. yeah, so he is... Um, wow. He's really in the thick of things, <laughs> as it were. I watched it. I enjoyed it. And it was all because of you and Robbie that I watched it. So well, I'm so glad that. you did. We're getting. Yeah. I'm, get, I'm slowly getting you to watch more found footage. I feel, Girl, I feel like I I'm know. chipping away at an iceberg. 
<laughs> I have watched probably more fan footage since I met you than I have in my entire life. <laughs> You're welcome. But look, I have I have not totally led you astray. I have made sure you've watched the good ones. Uh-huh. <laughs> so transitioning, let's talk about Mad Max meet zombies. Speaking of my Mad Max watch from like a week or so ago. So, yeah, exactly. I didn't even think about that. But I watched Wormwood Apocalypse, which is Kia Roach-Turner's new film. It is a sequel to the first Wormwood film that came out in 2014. And he also directed a film called Necrotronic from, I think, mm. 2018 or 19 that I saw. It was um, as part of one, I think, Fantasia. So this is the latest from from him. It's a fucking blast. Yeah. So it is like, it take, basically it takes place, zombie apocalypse has happened, zombies they discover can be used to fuel cars and stuff like that because they're like, something about them is like flammable so you can use them as engines for stuff, which okay. is like kind of interesting. And there are some people who are hybrid zombies. So like they're, they're zombies, but people, and they can be controlled if they drink, like, if they drink blood, basically, they can, and, like, zombie blood, they can kind of, like, be a little more an even keel. And so this one picks up, it's, like, af- long after the apocalypse has started, we have a couple of the same characters, a brother and a sister. The brother is human, the sister is hybrid, and they're just trying to survive in the landscape. And then they eventually are these two younger girls one of whom is a hybrid. And they cross paths with this guy named Reese, who is a mercenary who hunts zombies and humans for a medical facility who are experimenting on people and things to create a cure. Gotcha. And it all kind of comes to a very violent zombie head. And it's like just practical effect, mm. nasty, gory, fun. It's over the top. It's it's so campy, but like knows it's camp, but doesn't, it does this fun, it's that kind of movie that knows it's ridiculous and like relishes in that while also taking itself a little bit seriously. So it doesn't feel like a total, like ridiculous, like farce. And so it's just a really fun action horror zombie movie that makes zombies fun. Cause I haven't yeah. seen a good zombie movie in a while. And so this one. Yeah, I, I think just because like it so knows what it's pulling from that it's not trying. It's something a little bit new, but not like I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Um, plays a really good homage to the past to past influences while also creating a unique kind of vibe and aesthetic that make it stick out. So it's got that good combination of familiar mm-hmm. zombie trappings with its own really cool visual style and um, just absolute batshit crazy stuff that it's just like a really good time so it's out now so if y'all want to just like experience crazy australian zombie horror (laughs) gore practical effect madness highly recommend wormwood apocalypse oh yeah i never i've never seen the first one and i i've heard good things about it that it's just fun practical effects yep that's exactly what it is zombies and i'm here for that and, like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, all this horror is so serious right now. Well, if you want something that's not serious, this mm. is the fucking movie for you. There you go. Yeah. So, highly recommend. That's on digital um, to rent. But, uh, so, Terry, Nesting Doll of a Season, I'm assuming, yes. I know what this is, but what have you been watching? Um, okay, so I, I got the screeners late, and I had to squeeze them in this week luckily the episodes are only 30 minutes each and there's only seven of them but i have seen oh, all of yeah. russian doll season two 
which is a sequel to Russian Doll Season 1 that came out in 2019. So it's been three years since it came out. That came out, like, before the really pandemic. This? Yeah, yeah. Holy shit, it did. It premiered February February in 2019. Wild. But anyway, so have you seen Russian Doll, the first season? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it needed a second season, watching the end of that, personally. Yeah, I like, was surprised that they were going to do a like second season. A self-contained story. Sort of surprised they picked up a second season. At the start of the season, I did not think that the show needed a second season. But by the end of it, I was like, okay, I'm on board. I see what you're doing. Let's bring on another season. So I can't, unfortunately, talk a whole... Like, Netflix gave a whole long list of embargo details that you can't talk about this, can't talk about this, cannot talk about who Annie Murphy is playing, cannot talk about a lot of things. And I get it. I completely get it. Because part of the joy I had of watching both of these two seasons is kind of going in and not knowing what's going to happen. And like the titular Russian nesting doll, peeling back the layers and seeing what kind of new things underneath. So this one, instead of being like a time loop is time travel. Um, Okay. Nadia is facing like this idea of where like before Nadia played by Natasha Lyonne before she was facing like her own mortality is now facing this immortality of like people around her in terms of like Ruth, who was um, the kind of chain smoking broad that kind of reminded me a little bit of like uh, she reminds me a little bit of Carrie Fisher. Yeah. So it opens up with Ruth having been an offender bender and her voice is a little bit more smokier than normal. And Nadia staring at her with this realization, I think, that this is the last person that has any ties to my family that's alive. And as we know from season one, Nadia struggles a lot with her now deceased mom, who's played by Chloe Savini. Is that how you say your last name? Yes. In season one, um, struggle with mental illness. And she gets on a train and ends up in 1982, New York, and meets her mom and all of this kind of stuff from there. And I can't really say anything else about that. And then Alan, meanwhile, goes on his own time travel journey in an exploration of his past. And the the show, without saying anything, (laughs) unfortunately, the show does tackle some interesting dynamics with um, gender and sexuality in an interesting way that I wish it would have tackled a bit more. But because there's only seven episodes and most of it is focused on Nadia, I don't think it explores that enough, unfortunately. But by the end of the season, I was like, okay, I see what you're doing. At the beginning, I was like, it doesn't have the immediate grab of like, you're stuck in a time travel and let's see how many ways that Russian Doll can kill <laughs> Natasha Leone's character in various yeah. different ways. It lacks that. But by the mm-hmm. end of it, I was like, this is um, an uneven but very strong mm-hmm. season. And so that will be out on Wednesday. After you listen to this episode, like the Wednesday after this episode comes out. So I I would, if you're a fan of it, I would recommend it. Um, Natasha Leone is just performing on another level in this. Like, oh. I love her performance in this. She just is that brassy kind of character that I just love. It's everything I want in a woman. <clears throat> I know. Same. <laughs> same. I am so attracted to, to her. Me. She Who's just has like... <laughs> I love how he just stuck that in there. What, what was that? The ghost. I didn't hear anything. Ghost <laughs> the in the ghost. machine. Tiramisu? What are you doing? I didn't know you'd be oh, talking. Tiramisu. <laughs> oh my god, ew. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that's that. Uh, I'm very excited to watch it. I love the first season. Mm-hmm. And I was, again, skeptical, skeptical about the second season. But I'm glad to hear that it is. it makes sense and it isn't like a total train wreck. No. So. 
Um, I was skeptical up until about episode five when it started to like oh. pull things together. But that's, that's only seven episodes. No, I know, but like it, it made me appreciate what came before. Like, oh, okay. I was like, it's one of those things that that's one? like better than some of its parts. Like the beginning, I was like, what are we doing here? She's off trying to find money. Like these gold. She there's a there's a little okay. brief moment in the first season where she where there's like an inheritance in gold coins that she's talking about. She wears that gold coin around her neck, and that is sort of like the MacGuffin oh, in this. Okay. And I'm like, what are we doing here? And by about episode four and five, I was like, okay, I see what we're doing here. And it made my appreciation grow for what came before. It's uneven. I don't think it's individually as good as the first season, but I think thematically it's a lot more dense than the first season ended up being. Okay. Okay. I'll allow it. And that is my very embargoed. (laughs) Like the things that I really want to talk about, I can't even say. (laughs) Like I'm forbidden, forbidden from saying. Coming for you. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Don't come for me, Netflix. All right. So what's this British horror story? Okay. I'll talk about this like, super briefly, but um, uh, there's this new documentary docu. It's two part series on Netflix called Jimmy Savile, British Horror Story. I did not know anything about this man. Jimmy yeah, Savile was a British broadcaster for like ever. Huge in Britain. I didn't know who he was. He looked, he, he looks terrifying. Like he mm. looks like someone who would do the things that he did, which sounds so fucked up. But like when you see a picture of him, like his, he's got like, he looks like the berries and cream guy <laughs> with his white hair. Mm-hmm. And this two part series is about like his influence in like British popular culture and Alton then kind of linking it to how he got away with 400 reported cases of sexual abuse Jesus. over his entire life. I knew he there was like sexual abuse. I didn't realize it was that much. Jesus. 400 claims and it all happened after he died. It, the series goes into it, but basically like people kept trying to bring up accusations in the 2000s against him, but because of the power he had in so many places, it kept yeah. the story kept getting squashed. And then finally, after his death, everything came to light, and it's bad. It, it, so it's it's obviously very hard to watch. Like, there are very graphic um, descriptions of what he did and who he did them. Like, he did it to mm-hmm. kids, but, like, kids in hospitals. Oof. And it, so it's really fucked up, but I think it's really well-made in terms of kind of showing just how much power he had and like Mm -hmm. how he was able to get away with what he did for so long. So if it's like, if you're interested, if you're interested in that kind of stuff and like are curious about it, I think it's done really well. I think it's really difficult to watch. Like it's two parts and each part's an hour and a half. And Steve and I took multiple times to watch, like watched each part over like two or three sittings because I personally was like, I got to take a break. Like this is just like a lot for my brain, but I think it's well done. So I just wanted to bring it up. It's very brief, but good God. Yeah. Well, and it just also like brings into like consideration all the things like people and creeps that we see get away with so much stuff mm-hmm. for so long. And like people still talk about it. Like Steve and I were just talking about Jared Leto, like be like so many people talking about how he's an actual like pet, like sexual predator and yet nothing is done about it. And it's just like this kind of stuff has been going on for so long and it's horrendous. It's fascinating. Difficult. Fascinating. Yeah. I saw that come up on Netflix and I was, I was curious about it because I, I don't know anything about him because he was, he, you know, it was a UK like thing and yeah. it's not in, I don't think most Americans, uh, orbit, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. Like he was like, he had shows in the BBC for like 60 years. He had like mm. three different shows and they were, most of them were music based. So mm. like he had one that was like top of the pops, which was like all the big 
bands would play. Like he knew the Beatles. He knew the Rolling Stones. He knew Elvis. He was friends with like the like with royalty like princess diana and him were close friends right then he had jimmy will fix it which was like a show where he would write him letters and he would fix their problems Mm. for Mm. them and a bunch of other and he was like a radio dj too and he used to be a he was a coal miner from the north of england and so a lot of people saw him as much more trustworthy because he was a a guy who worked like he had worked in the mines down to earth yeah blue collar Mm -hmm. guy like came from like a working class background like wasn't some kind of posh londoner like he had lived a life so there was a lot of trust like much quicker yeah it's fucked up (laughs) yeah that's that (laughs) but terry we both saw a movie this week that is all about Guys being dudes. Guys being dudes. Belching and farting. Farting. And I will avenge you, father. I will save you, mother. I will kill you, Fjolnir. Lots of screaming. Lots of screaming. Lots of animalistic noises. Lots of toxic masculinity. Lots of men beating on their chests and wanting to murder each other because men. The Northmen. The Northmen. (laughs) Robert Eggers' new movie, The Northman. And you know, I'm I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this, but for me, I think this is a perfect third movie for him because he opens up with The Witch, of course, right? And it's very feminist. It's very, like, female-centric. And then he goes on to The Lighthouse, which is still about it's about men about relationships between men but it's also like gay as fuck (laughs) and about again sort of like a different kind of toxic masculinity that that does not allow people to express like emotions and that kind of stuff and then we have the northman which kind of takes that sort of toxic masculinity and just roids it up and then sends it loose in the wild to go murder everyone and it's like if this had been his first movie I'm not sure I would be as appreciative of his skill as I am watching it now as a third movie. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, this is totally showing, here's my range, guys. I made a very quiet (laughs) witch movie. I made a movie in 3-4 aspect ratio in black and white about two men in a light in a light in a lighthouse and now i'm gonna give you fucking action you want action i'm gonna have fucking guts torn out eyes plucked out just gnarly shit it's so good (laughs) i loved it so much i did too i fucking love this movie i love how dude it is because like Mm. i feel like you either need to go full crazy animal man and he goes full crazy animal mm-hmm. man. Like there are literally moments where these men are wearing wolf skins and just mm-hmm. like screaming. Howling and it's at the incredible. Moon. Mm-hmm. I so it it follows a lot of the same revenge story beats. I will say it is not necessarily giving you a ton new in terms of a revenge story. I mean, no. you see him <laughs> at the beginning as a kid with his dad and then his dad gets murdered that's not a spoiler it's in the trailer um and then it's like him becoming a very hardened viking with his with his group of very angry bearded naked men and like also this movie is a little bit gay um because everyone's naked uh and then him be- like realizing, oh, I need to do this to get my revenge, and now going from there. Like, it hits those big, the, the hero story slash revenge story beats. 
That's fine, though, because it's so fucking cool how it gets to each point. I mm-hmm. feel like that it doesn't matter to me because it's the set design, the costume design. The cinematography. The cinematography. The music. It's all just, like, incredibly put together. Like, this is... A, a Viking epic that could have been done with like it's a bunch of dudes in the dirt, but this one is like an art, artful action, wild thing that I didn't think it's like a twenty four action. It's not a twenty four. It's focus features, and I know that I shouldn't always, but it's like artsy action, like Valhalla Rising kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. And it, it, like you said, it's, it has a very simplistic story, um, but it's it's a timeless story. It's the same story that that Shakespeare used to base Hamlet on. Like it's oh, it's yeah. a it's a classic story. It is a classic mythology, and it's a, a trope story that we've seen that has become a trope at this point because it's like you know the whole like mothers with the uncle, sons going to avenge father, yada yada yada. But it also like has like elements of um, Macbeth as well. I would say in it, um, yeah. I think. I think Nicole Kimmon does uh, would make an amazing Lady Macbeth. Okay, someone on the timeline said that she doesn't get enough time. She's not that great in this movie. One, Excuse she's on her. She she is not in a lot of it. But at the end, this bitch delivers a performance. Oh my god, does she? You kid, I, I when I saw that on my on Twitter, I was like, oh, then she's not gonna like have a lot to do. I'm sorry, this woman is incredible. Mm-hmm. She's incredible. Like, I will say parts of the end that were like a little bit of a twist I kind of saw, but actually loved. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, cool. So we're going full, like, morally ambiguous across the goddamn Mm -hmm. board. Like, love that. So another thing I really appreciated, though, is that Eggers is so good at this. Playing with if a movie is supernatural or not and not Mm. really giving you an answer. Nope. And it's kind of up to you, which I I hadn't really thought about until watching this and tracking from the witch to the lighthouse to this, how he plays with our expectations of the paranormal and never really telling you. Because, like, at the end of the witch, yeah, maybe she is a witch or is she, like, what is, if it's actually happening in the lighthouse, you're like, something weird might be happening. Maybe not. And in this, very similar. And he plays with, like, Norse gods and Valhalla and Odin. And there are parts of it where you're like, is this real? Or... Yeah. And it, it, this one, I think, is even weird, is even more wild with that. Because like, oh, okay, can we explain it? It's not magical. And then something else happens. I'm like, wait. This reminded me fuck? of... Yeah. This reminded me a lot of, like, the 80s fantasy that we would see, but, like, pulled back and distilled. So, like, it reminded me a bit of, like, Excalibur. It reminded me a little bit of uh, The Sword and the Sorcerer, where those Mm -hmm. went full into the supernatural element. And this, it's sort of this, I think, takes elements of that sort of supernatural fantasy movie that was really big in, like, the 80s, the late 70s, early 80s, and distills it to an A24, not to, like, bend you know, movies, but like you said, an A24, like sort of like artsy fartsy version of those that takes the supernatural and implants some of it and leaves you, like you said, kind of wondering, is this supernatural or is it kind of all like metaphor? Like there's that aspect to it. But I saw there's a couple sequences out in in this movie that I was like, this is pulling definitely from this. This Eggers loved his his uh, fantasy movies from the 80s is the only thing I'm going to say about some of it. Like, definite pulling from that. And I love that. I love seeing it. Can we mark this clip? Because I want to show you... I want to show you my my impression of Alexander Skarsgård walking, and I would like to post this on Twitter because it makes me laugh. 
and I have to show you and you have to react and I will post the video on Twitter. Okay, I don't know if I can do that. You can't? All right, I'll figure it out. Let me see. But... <laughs> a... It records the video, right, though, if I want to find it and pull out the clip. Yeah. Okay. I... I'll find it. But basically, my favorite part of this entire fucking movie is Alexander Skarsgård standing like this the whole time. Like, oh my god, yes, hulking like a bear, his arms out, and I'm like, why is this doing something for he's me? Like walking like this, he is. No, I, was, I had, I was dying. I'm like, that is the most unnatural stance of any human being I have ever seen in my entire life. It's so funny. Like he looks like a bear. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's incredible. But I, I was like, so I've never been more attracted. <laughs> also, there is an incredible long take at the beginning, too. Mm. Oh, it's just so good. It's and so like, good. I will say, if you don't know anything about Norse mythology, you might be a little lost. But I really... I have a bare minimum. Yeah, I was like, I saw someone say, you need like a PhD in Norse mythology to understand this. I don't... That's also not true. So if you're worried about it being like historically dense, don't. I think there's a lot of attention to detail mm-hmm. that you'll appreciate. But I also don't think it's going to ruin your understanding. No, I think I think you'll have a better, deeper appreciation for some of the like imagery, like the crows matching with like Odin and the crow witches and that kind of stuff. Like there's definite things I think you'd pick up a bit more if you had that. But you don't need it. it. Yeah. It's like, it's the typical Edgar's incredible research attention to detail, but like, I don't, it doesn't hinge upon your understanding of a story. I think you it's actually the most accessible film. It, it, I, I would agree. I, the accents were kind of bad at some points, but. It's no Gucci. It is, it is no going, Gucci. Which it's is, a me, Mario, basically. <laughs> like, it's not um, that. True. Bjork is only in it for about two minutes, but I she's know. incredible. She's incredible. And then Claus Bang, he's got a beautiful ass. <laughs> <laughs> he's not, but ass aside, he's incredible. Actually, um, he plays Fjolner, and he is my favorite of this movie. Clay's. I think, yeah, Clay's Bang as Fjolner is incredible. Like, oh, everyone's just so good and just unhinged. It's incredible. So, love the Northmen. <laughs> Me just realizing that Clay's Bang played Dracula in the Dracula Netflix series. <gasps> that was him? Mm-hmm. No wonder. Mm-hmm. It Ooh, just he's, clicked. He's much to ponder. <laughs> much to ponder. <laughs> okay, but we can, mm. we can gush about the Northmen for a long time, but let's, um... <laughs> and we're already 40 minutes in. Let's... Let's... Oh, sh- <laughs> Let's dive into this uh, twincest horrifulcore movie, taking it to a whole other level. What did we watch, Mary Beth? We watched the 1958 film Lake of the Dead. Yes, from yeah, Norway. Lake of the Dead from Norway. Way more accessible than I thought it was going to be. I was oh. full on expecting like artsy, fartsy, black and white. Oh. Again, no problem with that. But this is a much more accessible movie than I was expecting, which mm-hmm. is great, <laughs> just because of where my brain's at. To set everyone up, I'm just reading this off of Letterboxd for the, the synopsis. A group of friends travel to a cabin in the Norwegian forest. It's a rumor that at night a crazy man can be heard screaming at a lake nearby the cabin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the same. That's the same. Uh... <laughs> 
the synopsis at IMDb, and I'm like, really? That's what we're There's doing. There's a crazy man screaming by the lake. <laughs> no, that's not exactly it. No, but sure. let's go with it. But it's an urban legend about a guy mm-hmm. who dies in a lake. And the lake of his... kind of collects souls, potentially, and it might be bottomless, and yeah. he might possess people and bring them into the lake to drown, to continue also, to, he, like... he was in love with his sister, his twin sister. Yeah. And uh, don't worry, that narrative thread continues! It sure does continue to the 1958 present, where um, a woman who um, is, like, excited to go to... Well, kind of anxious to go back to the cabin in, in this woods, cabin in the woods, um, because her twin brother lives there and kind of self-imposed isolation and she hasn't heard from him and also she's a medium and can feel when he's in pain and she feels anxious because she doesn't feel anything anymore i think yeah then they go there and he's missing and he sure is missing and there's a dead dog and dead dog uh the group of people is a very interesting mix of writers and a psychoanalyst (laughs) psychoanalyst isn't it yeah who likes to (laughs) to talk freud and talk about the what dreams really mean and has this whole plot of luring out the brother who he thinks is still alive and it just boy there's a lot going on in this in this little movie not a lot of folk horror no but there are some really kind of cool imagery that kind of reminded me a little bit of the stuff that eggers would would later do like there's like an image of a crow with one leg and there's the yeah the the mystery is there's this guy who gravik or gravat or gravak or something like that who was a peg leg person who was like there's like images of superimposed of him like coming after people with his one leg and i do love the ghost images like obviously very 1958 but i still love that effect and like when they're looking in the water at one point i think they see see the ghost like Mm -hmm. in the water which is cool and they have the beauty of the the beauty of the natural setting especially the lake like it's shot beautifully these black and white mm -hmm. shots of the lake surface with like the leaves and the flowers on them it sets the tone in a really beautiful way. And, like, you think so much about, the like, the green lusciousness of folk horror, but this plays with such different expectations with black and white in a way that's mm-hmm. really, really pretty. And it's 1958. Like, this was before we really had an idea of what folk horror was. So it captures that aesthetic. It's a really cool, like, kind of precursor to the ades- the ad- <laughs> that aesthetic. Well, there's also, like, going back to the folk horror aspect of it, there is this idea that maybe something is living in the lake that has, you know, possessed people over time. And so there's that sort of like, and there's that, that we, we also see the push and pull of people that are, you know, high society, high intelligence, you know, people of like academia who are here and like, oh, that's just an old legend. And there's that sort of play of like the people that are out of their depth entering a realm where nature don't, don't give a fuck about their intelligence or what they perceive of the world. And so there's that aspect of it. I think this movie does pretty well um particularly for 1958 and there's also a jump scare that actually got me there's a moment where one of the main characters is like trying to go into his room and he hears noises and he opens the door there's like a black shadow in the room and i was like "Ooh, that's actually kind of kind of scary i bet a lot of people got terrified of that when this movie came out yeah it's effective i think it's an effective mm-hmm. movie i think it's only 77 minutes long so it's pretty short but it's a i think slow it's a little yeah it's gonna say it's it's a little slow for how long it is but it's interesting 
And the hypnotist uh, slash psychoanalyst was giving me Peter Cushing vibes. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I was, for some reason, I was like, who does he look like in my head? Like he looks very familiar, but yeah, so that's on Shudder. Yeah. I think if you're a fan of folklore, it's a good, it's an interesting watch, especially like, oh, a movie that you probably never would have seen if it wasn't for. And you can also watch the remake and, or my recommendation, skip the remake, Lake of Death, I think is what it's called. And it is a loose remake of it. There is still the twin aspect of it. But I I think what ruined it for me, it's gorgeously shot, by the way, the the remake. But what kind of ruined it for me is um, they're very like trying to be meta where it's like, oh my gosh, we're walking into the basement like in Evil Dead. Oh my gosh, I'll be right back. Sort of like in Scream. Oh my gosh, we're going to drop all these little movie tidbits. Ha ha ha. Okay. This is like, you know, and it's, it's, it was annoying. <laughs> and the characters weren't that interesting, but it's out there. It's also on Shudder. It's a Shudder it original, is. unfortunately, if you want to watch it. But <laughs> Gorgeously shot. Like the, the cinematography of it is, was, was beautiful. Um, I believe it was Sam Raimi's um, cinematographer. Oh, yeah, I believe. Oh. Look at that? Don't come for me if I'm wrong, but I think it was. But then, what are we chatting next week for our continuation of full horror? We are watching the Penis Monster movie, aka Rawhead Rex, and I'm excited to finally watch this one. I keep calling it Rawhide Rex. Rawhide. <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying it's Rawhide, like the. T- <laughs> Rawhead Rex. The, the, post, the poster's incredible. It's probably not going to be the best one we watch, but I'm excited to watch a f- full horror creature feature, like yeah. very explicitly. So that will be fun. Hell yeah. And who are we talking to on Monday? Oh my gosh, on Monday, we are talking with Eric LaRocca, the writer behind some of the buzziest horror novellas lately, including Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke, and You've Lost a Lot of Blood, and we're chatting about martyrs. Oh boy, we sure are. Yeah, we are. And while this is not as, as spicy of an episode as like The Shining one was, um, we, we have differences of opinion. We have some differences of opinion. <laughs> Let's just say I wore a shirt that I bought for the, not for the episode, but the episode got me to buy a shirt from Martyrs and I wore it on the podcast. So yeah, it's, it's a good one. Meanwhile, I watched Martyrs, so. (laughs) (laughs) So listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch something that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for things for us to cover? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to get a review, or a review, if you want to get a movie recommendation from Mary Beth, make sure you are reviewing. That's what I wanted to say. Mary Beth's going to review you. Ew. <laughs> do you want to be reviewed by Mary Beth? Ugh, no. <laughs> Don't make me do that, please. <laughs> Thank you, Derek Power, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. Until next time.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.